This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. God bless you. Please grab a seat. It is great to see you this morning, especially if today is your very first time checking out C3. We want to say thank you for choosing to hang out with us. We want you to know that you're important to us. In fact, your future is our focus. Everything we do is about connecting people with Jesus and helping people grow in their relationship with him. And so we're thrilled that you're here today. I don't know what it is that you may take with you every day, but every day I've got a few things with me. I take my phone with me every day, everywhere I go. It's it's always with me. You do too. I hear them ring during the service. It's awesome. But we take our phones with us. I take, one of the things I do is on Sundays, I have a car shirt and an in-the-room shirt. Because I don't want to drive here and that whole seatbelt thing get all wrinkled. It gets in my head. And I know you think sometimes you're, you're wrinkled anyway, but that, that's okay. I do the best I can to mitigate it. But what is it that you have with you that you carry with you? In fact, let me ask it this way. What did you bring with you in the room today? Because some of you, what you're carrying with you is overwhelming. You have gotten used to carrying confusion. Some of you brought in the room with you pain. Some of you, it's, it's, it's the sting of betrayal, and it happened some time ago, but you're still, you're still processing, and you carry it with you. In fact, a lot of what we carry with us informs and sets the pace for the relationships that we have. What, what do you carry? If you're a guy and you go to the grocery store, when you get home, you carry all the bags in at one time. It's not three or four. It's, I don't know what it is. It's a man thing. Like, I've got 847 bags, but I'm carrying them in the house. I'm not going back to the car. I will not. I'm carrying them all in. Not long ago, I started adding to the workout routine boxing. And in the training, one of the things, my man put a vest on me weighing 80 pounds. And so I trained that day with that vest. Now, what's crazy, that's almost or a little more than the weight I've lost over the last few months, I had no idea how much that was burdening me down. But I can tell you this, when we got to the round where he said, okay, we're going to take the vest off now, I heard angels sing. Like it was glorious. I heard angels and Van Halen at the same time. It was beautiful. A little bit of Beastie Boys. It was awesome. It's just like the feeling of relief. What if what you carried in with you today could come off? What if you didn't have to live under the pressure, navigating the doubt, feeling the level of pain that you're feeling? If you're a guest, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of James. We've called this series The Lost Art. Because the lost art, I think, in many ways in our culture and our day, in your life and in mine, is how to actually live our faith. We know what we believe, we just sometimes don't know how to apply that on a Tuesday afternoon in a meeting or a Thursday evening conversation with family. We know what we believe, but sometimes we don't even know why we believe it. And when life is challenging and when you go through difficult moments, it's critically important to not just know what you believe, but to know why you believe it. So we've been walking through this short book, it's only five chapters, we'll finish it up next Sunday, but we've taken 14, 15 weeks to be in this. It's a five-minute read, but we've taken all these weeks to explore the book of James. James, remember, the half-brother of Jesus. How would you like to grow up with Jesus being your brother? Every argument, Mary says, James, stop it, because it's never Jesus. It's never his fault. The day you bring report cards home, you're not winning against Jesus. I mean, and here's what's interesting. James, even though he's Jesus' half-brother, he is skeptical and doesn't believe Jesus is the Son of God until after the resurrection. So if you're here this morning, maybe you're not a Christ follower, maybe you're checking out church, and you're not sure you buy this whole Jesus is God thing, James can understand that. He would relate to that. It wasn't until after the resurrection, his life is transformed, so much so that James becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church where everything launched from. And the Holy Spirit of God uses him to write this brief letter, and it's not a letter written to a particular church, like the book of Romans is written to the church in Rome, Ephesus, or Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus. This letter is written to every Christ follower 
who has scattered because of persecution that was happening in the world at that time against followers of Jesus. And he's going to say today, the Holy Spirit through James, what you brought in with you, what you're carrying day by day, those things that are weighing your life down, you don't have to do it alone. We're going to wrap up this morning, finish up next week talking about how to live our faith day by day. And the interesting thing about today, it's for everybody. We're going to cover some stuff that applies to everybody, no matter who you are. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. But haven't you tried that? I mean, aren't there things you've prayed for intensely? Things, moments where you desperately cried out to God, and you may be somebody like, I don't even know if I believe in prayer, but I'm going to give this a shot. If there is a God, I'm going to do the best I can to dive into this moment and to pray, and it didn't work out. Aren't there times when, when we read the Word of God that it feels like, that's not real life? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And some of you, if we're honest, you feel like, What's the point? Why? He continues, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. But what about when he doesn't? If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the problem. There it is. That's why it doesn't make sense. That's why it doesn't work. The prayer of a righteous person is effective. I'm not righteous. So the problem, maybe it's me. Maybe God answers prayer of some people and he has favorites, but I'm not one of them because I'm not, I'm not righteous. He says, are you dealing with trouble? Are, are you navigating conflict? Are you carrying a burden? Are you facing challenges? This is for you today. He also says, are you happy? You walked in today problem-free. Life is pretty good. In fact, you can't believe how good life is. This is for you today. He's talking about all of us, a troubled life or a trouble-free life. It's for you. He says, are you sick? Are you battling a health issue? He says, I'm talking to you today. And you might think, well, he's not talking to me because I'm not in trouble, but I wouldn't really say life's great and I'm, I'm not sick. He's not talking to me. The next one gets all of us. Anyone wrestling with sin? That's all of us. And if you're here this morning, you think, that's not me. You just sinned, so this is for you. Anyone wrestling with sin, there's something that you've confessed, you've taken to God, and you know that area of my life, that area of my thoughts, that area of what I do. There's some things I'm involved in I know are not honoring to God, and you've taken it to God, and you've confessed it, and yet somehow you find yourself back in the same place. You do the thing that you hate you do, knowing it's not honoring to God, and you feel stuck there. So you justify or you ignore and you pretend it's no big deal. And the Spirit of God through James, he's, he's talking to all of us today. It's for all of us. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're feeling in life, good or bad, and no matter what you're navigating, he offers the same answer. Whether you're sick, whether it's sin, whether you're walking through trouble, or you're having a really good season in life, it's the same answer. He's saying, if this is you, if this applies to you, if you're dealing with any of these things, I want you to pray. Sounds so predictable. But that's the answer. It's simple church answer. Pray. We can go home now. That's it. That's all you've got to do. Pray? It feels kind of bland. And aren't there times... I mean, uh, let's, let's just be honest, aren't, aren't there times that it has felt like your prayers didn't work? All of that, he, he starts with, are you in trouble? That, that's not light. That's not just a calm moment. Are you in trouble? He, he goes to this intense place and says, if you are, pray. Maybe we wrestle with this because we know what prayer is but we have no idea how prayer works. Maybe we struggle with this because 
we're reading the verses and interpreting the passage based on what we can see in the moment, but God is infinite and God is a lot bigger. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad God is so big, I can't figure out God. I'm, so, I'm glad that in my faith, there are things in the word of God that I do not understand. I, I'm so glad that God is not so small that I can fully understand him. And prayer is one of those things. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I pray a lot, but I am not an expert in prayer. Some of the things we're going to talk about today, listen, I don't understand fully how all of this works. It's kind of like electricity. I walk in the room, and I flip a switch, and I expect to be able to see. That's about it. I have no idea how it all works. Same thing's true with prayer. I know what the Bible teaches. I'm supposed to pray. Jesus prayed. He said, hey, I want you to pray. If Jesus, the Son of God, prayed, how much more do I need to pray? So I know I'm supposed to, but there are a lot of moments. Where it can feel like, what's the point? There's a lot we don't understand. What do we understand? What is truth that will help me whether I'm in trouble or happy? Whether I'm dealing with illness or I'm battling sin? What is the truth? The truth is prayer is part of what gives the problems we're trying to carry to a God that can actually handle them. Prayer is transferring the problems from me to God, and our God loves it when we pray to him, when we talk to him. In fact, there are 165 times in the New Testament that we know of that Jesus called God Father. Prior to this, prior to the Christian faith, any other religion you look at, God was never known as a father. But there's an intimacy and a relational component where Jesus says, hey, I want you to understand God is big, he's powerful, he's massive, he's awesome, he's the creator of the universe. But that big God loves us so much, he wants to be closely connected in an intimate way, and he says, just call me Father. There's an intimacy. We have five, Angie and I have five grandkids. Grandkids are awesome because they go home. It's awesome. Their energy level, man, I love my grandkids. And the younger ones, the smaller they are, there are times when they're really little. Like Ellie's about a year and a half old now. And she'll be over at the house and she'll try to pick something up that's too heavy. And there's this basket in front of one of our chairs that's too heavy. And occasionally she'll try to pick it up. And when she can't, all she does is look at me. And I know that look means help. And so I'll go over and I'll do that. What I also love that she does is sometimes when she walks in or when she sees me, she does this. She doesn't have to say a word. I know, you, I know what, what does it mean when she does this? Pick me up. Now, if I, as a broken, messed up, sinful, average guy, am that drawn to people I love, to my grandkids, when they reach for me, when they need me, how much more is a perfect God who invites us to call him Father, a perfect Father, drawn to us in those moments when we don't even have necessarily the words, it's just a look. It's one of the reasons that during worship, some people raise their hands. If you're new to church, you're thinking, hey, the, the person on the second row has a question. Y'all aren't answering, there's a question. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's an act of faith in saying, God, I need you. We raise our hands to a God we need. And here's the thing about God, when we do that. If you have a burden... There are times God will carry your burden. And the situation doesn't really change much. It just feels lighter. You find it a little bit easier to trust. You, you have that, that deep abiding peace that comes from God that Jesus says, my peace I give you. Not just any peace, my peace I give you. And so the burden's still there, but it feels lighter. There, there are times God will carry the burden. There are other times he'll just carry you. The burden isn't removed and the burden's not lighter and you're still going through hell on earth and it's still a struggle, but day by day, moment by moment, you're making it because God is carrying you. It's beyond our understanding. But, but then notice this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Do you know how many times the Bible encourages us to sing? In this moment, he's saying, hey, if you're happy, if you have reason to celebrate, if life is reasonably good right now, you should sing songs of praise. There's something about God that he's drawn to our singing. Now, for just a second, just, just a second, I want to have 
just, just a little bit of a family conversation for a second. If you're a guest this morning, you're not a part of C3, you get to listen in, and that's awesome because we're transparent about who we are, what we think, and how we deal with life. But if you're a part of C3, there's a lot to celebrate. We've seen 115 people give their lives to Jesus so far just this year on Sunday mornings in this room. A lot to celebrate. We're adding, by the way, I don't know if you heard, August 27th, we're adding a third service on Sunday. It'll be Sunday nights at 6 o'clock, and it's going to be freakazoid awesome. In fact, I, I can't tell you everything's going to happen. Ah, oh, should I say this? Um, it's going to be like nothing you've ever seen. It's going to be like Sunday morning, but nothing like Sunday morning. It, it, it's just going to be freaking awesome. So Sunday night, August 27th, 6 o'clock. Now, if you come Sunday morning, you don't need to come Sunday night. If you come Sunday night, you don't need to come Sunday morning. But it's going to be awesome, and I want to encourage you to be inviting. But there, there's a lot of things to celebrate that God is doing. Those of you who serve, those of you who invest financially, man, you're forever connected with the people that have given their lives to Jesus and the relationships that have been restored and how God's working in people's lives. You're forever connected to people that you don't even know their name, and they may not know yours, but heaven knows all of it and has record of it. You've made a difference. But if you were to ask me, with all that God's doing and with all the amazing things that are happening, what's, what's an area that C3 needs to grow the most? Worship. Honestly. Worship. Some of you, I don't know if it's because of how you grew up in church, you don't think it's okay to be happy in church. You don't think, listen, this is not a funeral service, it's a celebration. Jesus died, but he got up. Like, it's okay. We get to celebrate. And some of you, and you can sort of tell what label you're in. If you grew up Presbyterian during worship, you're like this. If you grew up Baptist, you're like this. If you grew up a little charismatic, you might do a little bit of this action. Charismatic, you're going all the way. Like, they're different. We've got to tell where you're from. But, but think about this for a second. Notice what he says. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Man, I, I'm not happy. I'm wrestling with some things. I'm dealing with some stuff. Hang on. The God of the universe gave his son to die for you and for me because of his deep love for us. He invites us to call him Father. He forgives all of our sin. He gives us his spirit in this life to live with us day by day, the good days, the bad days. It, if he never did another thing for me, there's already enough reason to celebrate. If nothing else ever happened in my life, God has already done enough. We have a reason to celebrate. The problem is we focus on the, the size of our problem and not the depth of the love that God has for us, and we chase solutions instead of the presence of God. And we only worship if God is doing what I want him to do, if he's solving my problems. But what about in the meantime where God's trying to teach me some things and walk me through some things and allowing some things in my life that are uncomfortable? You don't grow jacked if you're not willing to get uncomfortable. You won't grow in building relationships unless you have uncomfortable conversations. You, you won't grow your muscles unless you take them to uncomfortable places. I love the guys. You, you, you walk in the gym sometimes, and, and there's a machine, and I've been waiting, and Dudley's on the machine on his phone, and he's been there 25 minutes, and you're not growing jack. Get the fat up and move somewhere else. I need to use the machine. You, you, you don't grow unless you're willing to get uncomfortable. Worship can be uncomfortable. Somebody walks through those doors and they're not a Christ follower. And this week somebody said, I don't love you anymore. This week a doctor said, you've only got a few months. This week they found out something about one of their kids that they love with all their heart and they don't know how to solve it as a parent. You're never, as a parent, you're never happier than your most unhappy child and parents carry a unique burden. And when that person walks in this room, in a church gathering, this isn't the church, you're the church, with people that say they know God, a God who's changed their lives, and we have an opportunity to sing to him and celebrate, and that person who doesn't know Jesus slips in a row beside you, and you're doing one of these, is, is your faith contagious during worship? Are people drawn to God because of how you respond to him in a moment when you have to sing to him? I can't sing. It literally says make a joyful noise. You don't have to be able to sing. I've stood by, some of you are good at making a joyful noise. 
Like you could peel the paint. It sounds like somebody's slaughtering cattle, but you're, you're making a joyful noise and God's pleased with it. I'm a, it's a little awkward for me, but listen, just make the noise. Sing, do your best, dive in. Because if you don't, you're missing something. Singing, did you know based on research, singing grows. Singing grows us relationally and singing grows us emotionally. Let me just talk to the men in the room just for a second. Guys, ladies, you don't have to listen. Pop on Pinterest, whatever you want to do. Guys, you cannot be a healthy spiritual leader and lead your family well if you don't worship. And I know that worship is far more than just singing. And I know that worship is a lot more than just Sunday morning for an hour. I know, I know, I know. But there's something unique throughout history since the church was launched, Jesus' idea of the church, that together we sing because it grows our relational connection with God and it opens me up emotionally to God and who he is and he's able to work more in my life. This is one of those things, honestly, you get out of it what you put into it. Well, I just don't like the songs you sing. I don't give a flying rip. We don't pick them for you. you oh, you, you, you thought the band was up here. No, the whole freaking room's the band. They're not up here to perform for you. We're here to worship for an audience of one, a God who deserves our worship and our praise. This isn't about you or me. If you like different kinds of music, put it on your Spotify, listen to it in the car. But in this room, we dive in together and we dive in to worship a God who deserves our worship. And if Jesus died on the cross, got up three days later, offers his spirit to live inside us, I think we have something to celebrate every freaking week when we come in this room. You can open your mouth and make a joyful noise and create a contagious atmosphere where other people dive in. And men, men, you need to lead the way. You need to step into who God's called you to be. What do I do? Just get started. Try it. I dare you. In fact, today, today for practice, in just a moment, we're going to do a worship song. We don't normally do one after the message. We're doing it today. And I want to encourage you to dive in today more than you ever have. Who cares what the person beside you thinks you sound like? Who cares if you have bad breath? We have mints for next week. Remember that. But dive in to a God who leans in when we sing to him. What does God want to do in your life this morning that you're going to miss if you don't? Just start. You just start. It's exercise for your soul. The body needs oxygen. The soul needs worship. Singing, it's also a way of celebrating. Some of you are like, I just, I don't sing. Yeah, you do. I saw you at the bounce house. You know the fight song. You're singing. Some of you, whatever college you pull for, you know the fight. You'll sing the fight song. You'll sing for a freaking piece of pigskin when it crosses. You'll, you'll sing all day long, but not for your Savior. Come on. That's weak. Step up and be who God created you to be because you're missing something if you're not diving into this. And then, then he says something that causes a struggle for us. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. It feels like a formula that I'm supposed to work and if I work the formula, here's what God's going to do. But that's a small understanding of a big idea. That's not fully accurate. Years ago, the church I pastored before this church here in Orlando we had a children's pastor, a phenomenal guy. He found out he had a brain tumor. The cancer ate him up, and there was, there was a time where he called me and the other pastor, some of the staff, to come over and pray for him. We anointed him with oil. We did that, and we prayed for him. And I would, I would love to tell you a different story, but he died. So what do I do in the moments when what I read doesn't match what I live. When it comes to the Word of God, if there's any moment that what I read doesn't match what I live, I have to understand that I don't understand everything. There are two words in this passage that create a problem for us. The first one is the word elders. It doesn't, it doesn't mean old people. It means the pastors, the overseers, the pastors of the church, the, the elders. Some, some churches get this wrong and they go off into theology and they have an elder board, and that's wackadoodle-doo and crazy, and I would never do that. 
Elders are actually the pastors of the church. But here's the thing. It's important to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. Here's the thing that you need to understand. If you pray for you and people that love Jesus are praying for you, there's nothing extra special if I pray for you too. Now, I pray for you. I, I love to pray for you. But like in, in our home, I don't have this special closet I go into that nobody knows about, and I pick up the phone, and I don't even have to dial, and when I put it to my ear, God's right there. Yeah, what, what you need today, Byron? I don't have that. I'm just a guy. So we get caught up in the technicality. Oh, the elders. No, it, it's, it's not about people. It's about God. It's not about what these people can do for me. It's about obedience to the Father. It's an act of faith. And then the phrase, anoint with oil, we do that. It's it's private when someone asks us to do that. But in the context, in the culture, oil was a a medical term, or, or a medicinal term. Oil was used as medicine. He's saying, if you're sick, pray. There's a spiritual component. And get the best medicine you can get. There's a physical component. And put the two together. The anointing is a sign of being covered by God. Kings were anointed by the prophets. It's a symbol that you're covered, that God's got you. It has nothing to do with the person praying and all about the God you're praying to. And the question is not, will God heal? The question is, when will God heal? My friend Kevin, that was the children's pastor that got the brain tumor, was healed. He's in heaven today, happier and better than he's ever been. He got promoted. We view God in such limited terms. If if this passage really meant, hey, when people are sick, anoint them with oil and everybody's going to live and be just fine, nobody would die. We have a limited view of healing. God has an eternal view of healing. Sometimes the healing takes place in this life. Sometimes the healing takes place by moving on to eternity in the next life. And then verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and that's the problem. It's what we've always thought. I'm not good enough. I've messed up too much. See, part of what you carry when you walk in the room is a lot of you carry your worst moments with you. They are on replay, and every time something bad happens in your life, You think, oh, yeah, it's because I'm like this. Oh, yeah, it's because I did that. Oh, yeah, it's because I lied. Oh, yeah, it's because I cheated. Oh, yeah, it's because this is the kind of person I am. And so I'm not righteous. That's why my prayers don't work. That's why I'm not seeing the results that I want, the change that I want. I'm not that righteous. If you were asked to draw a picture of a righteous person, nobody, nobody would draw themselves. In fact, often, righteous person, we think old person, old guy, old lady, soft-spoken, kind eyes. You'd never draw a picture of you. It would never be a self-portrait. But righteousness means living according to the character of God. So how does that work? So that we would understand this, he gives us an example. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. In the literal language, it means just like us. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly. He didn't just pray, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. God stopped the rain. God stopped the rain. And he prayed again for rain and and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Even as we are, that means it's just like us. Just like when you pray, God, don't let it rain. Just like how it doesn't rain when you pray that, right? Or God, we need some rain. I planted three tomatoes. Please let it rain. And it rained. That, That happens when you pray that, right? Do you have the kind of power in your prayer that you can change the weather? That's why my prayers don't work. I'm I'm not righteous. So what's the deal with prayer? Why doesn't it work more often and how do we do this? He's referring right here to something that happened in 1 Kings, way back in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 17, 900 years before Jesus Watch this. Now, Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tashibi Hardname in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
Ahab was king of Israel for 22 years. He was the most wicked king Israel had at that point. And Elijah's going to him. Now think about the culture and the economy. Everything was built on agriculture and livestock. If there's no rain, crops die. If there's no rain, animals die. So Elijah had a whole lot of boldness and went right up to Ahab, this wicked man. You think we live in a cancel culture. Ahab could cancel you. This wicked man, he approaches him and says, hey, I'm going to destroy the economy. God says the whole infrastructure of the economy, I'm taking it out. Imagine the, the, the boldness, and it actually, it actually happens. The entire commerce and livelihood of the nation, a nation that's built on agriculture and livestock, it's, it's ruined. Elijah's saying, hey, Ahab, because of who you are and how you live, I'm bringing your entire nation. God's bringing the entire nation to ruin. It's a huge proclamation. And Elijah does this as, an, as obedience to God. Okay, God, I went to Ahab. I told him what you said to say. What do I do now? And God says, run. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's not how this is supposed to work. I mean, isn't it supposed to be that if I live in my faith and I stand in my faith and I try to honor God and I try to do what he says and, and I have awkward conversations if I need to, but in a loving way, if I do my best to follow Jesus, isn't life supposed to get easier? I don't know where you read that, but that's not Bible. He does what God says to do, and then God says, run. You need to take off. But wait a minute, God, I, I did what you said. I, all I was doing was relaying your message. I mean, I'm not the one stopping the rain. You are. I just obeyed you, and you're going to do this to me? And God says, why are you still talking? You better run. Because Ahab was married to Jezebel. And the only thing worse than Ahab was Jezebel. Think about Jezebel. You don't even have to have grown up in church, and many of you have heard the name Jezebel. Nobody names their daughter Jezebel anymore. Or, or maybe you did. Maybe you're a guest. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Awesome name. Great choice. Should have thought about that. But, but Jezebel was like wicked on crack. And she sends message to Elijah, and she says, hey, as surely as I live with oxygen in my body, you're gonna die. I'm going to kill you. And so now Elijah is terrified. This man that had bold faith in the moment to approach Ahab, now he's terrified. Notice chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Have you ever thought that? You may not have prayed to die, but you thought, I, I can't take anymore. I've had enough. And the crazy thing about faith is there are those moments that you feel strong. There are moments you feel like God's with you. There are moments you can walk up to Ahab and say whatever, the Ahab's in your life. And then there are other moments where you feel afraid and you just want to run and hide and maybe even die. I just, I just can't take it anymore. The Bible says that he tells his servant to stay there and he goes a day's further journey into the wilderness. And in that culture, Jewish people would not take their own life. The, they viewed God as the creator of life and the taker of life. So if you wanted to commit suicide, you just ask God to kill you. And so that's exactly what he does. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. The Elijah that knows how to pray and stop rain, I can't relate to. The guy that's terrified and running, now I'm starting to relate to Elijah. I, I get this. I can understand this. One day he felt strong, the next day he feels hopeless. One day you feel like God's got it, the next day you're full of doubt. One day you feel like it's all going to be okay, and the next day you think it's never going to be okay. That's called life. And if you feel that, it doesn't mean you're any less of a Christ follower. It means you're normal. We live in a broken world that's messed up, and He's walking through the season of just, I'm terrified. I'm just going to sleep, and God, I'm okay if you just take my life. I wish you would. So God has no problem answering the prayers of people who are inconsistent. God has no problem answering the prayer of somebody who has faith in one moment and is terrified in the next. He has no problem saying, I'll stop the rain. Okay, I'll start the rain. God is, God is not... He's not afraid to do that. He has no problem connecting with his 
in that way. Why did God answer Elijah's prayer to stop the rain? Elijah wasn't amazing. Elijah's God was amazing. Everything that Elijah did that was incredible, the Bible even tells us it was done at God's command. It was all about God and all for God. It had nothing to do with Elijah. And then we find these probing words in verse, or chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He's just like us. How? Because God viewed him as righteous. And whether you feel like you are or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, God views you as righteous. God's view of you has nothing to do with how you feel. God's view of you has nothing to do with the lies that you've believed and the story you tell yourself about how you're less than, worse than, and just not good enough. God's view of you is not defined by your thoughts or what anybody else says about you. It's defined by him. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he took our sins and took the penalty for those sins. So not only did he give us forgiveness, he took our sins, and the Bible says he gave us his righteousness. So God doesn't view you as the broken, messed up you. He's aware of it, but the blood of Jesus is big enough, strong enough, and has cleansed you enough, if you're a follower of Jesus, that he sees you as righteous. So your righteousness, and even Elijah's righteousness, has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. It's only what Jesus put on us. It's not something I can work up, make up, or call down. It's something that God gave me when I became a child of God by inviting Jesus to come into my life. He forgave my sin. He gave me his righteousness. Romans chapter 5 explains it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. We've been justified. We've been made righteous. This is foundational in prayer. Don't, don't miss this moment. This is foundational. Because when you pray, if you go to God with the perspective of, I messed up. You're probably not going to answer me anyway. I don't deserve it. I'm not perfect. And you have right there on instant replay, it's the closest files to the front in your mind of all the areas where you screw up. If you approach God like that, you're not going to expect much out of prayer. And you have an incorrect perspective of prayer and of who God is and how he sees you. If you approach God as, I know I'm broken and messed up, but you view me as righteous. In fact, you love me so much, you've invited me to call you father, and you're a perfect father. And you, you want me to share with you, cast every burden on you. You want me to enter your throne room with boldness and confidence, not because of me, but because of what Jesus put on me when I gave my life to him. You see me as righteous, and because you see me as righteous, you're ready to answer my prayer and work in my life. It's two very different perspectives of prayer. But how you approach prayer, God's probably not going to because I'm a screw-up, is very different than, oh, God's got this because he loves me. He sees me as righteous. I belong to Jesus, and whether I get to see it in this life or the next, he's got it, and it's all going to be fine. Two totally different perspectives when it comes to prayer. God doesn't see the old you. He sees the new you. And then we get wrecked in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. How many times have you prayed for healing for someone and they died? And you thought, I must not have enough faith. There's actually a teaching that some churches promote that says if you just have enough faith, God will heal. If that was true, no Christ follower in history would have ever died. This is not about having more faith. It's about leaning into the faith I do have and trusting the God that invites me to call him Father and not only trusting him to handle my circumstance, my situation, take my burden, but also trusting his timing and how he deals with it. How many times have you prayed that you wouldn't lose the home and you lost the home? You wouldn't lose the marriage and you lost the marriage. The relationship wouldn't be damaged and the relationship was damaged. How many times have you prayed for God to remove the pain but it got worse? How many times have you prayed for your finances and yet it's still a struggle? How many times have you prayed and nothing happened? How many times have you prayed and nothing happened? Never. But are there times you prayed and didn't seem like anything was happening? Oh yeah, often. It's almost like James is saying there's some formulas and if you do this, here's what's going to happen. But wait a minute. King David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. After he commits a huge sin, he asks God for forgiveness and God forgives him and he prays that his baby will live and the baby dies. Did David, 
whose flag still stands over the nation of Israel, did he not have enough faith? Or Paul, the Apostle Paul. Other than Jesus, I think the greatest Christ follower that's ever lived. The Spirit of God uses him to write about half of the New Testament, planted churches everywhere. In the end, his life is taken because of his faith. And the Bible says that Paul prays for this thorn to be removed and God leaves it. Did Paul not have enough faith? What about Jesus in the garden? On the last night of his freedom, he prays a simple prayer in Matthew 26. Father, let this cup pass me by. I don't want this. Please stop this. And he finishes the prayer and he goes to the cross and dies. Did Jesus not have enough faith? We have defined faith as a formula we work to solve our problems by a God who needs to act quickly. And if he doesn't, it's not real. But your life and the story of your life and what God's doing is way bigger than even what's happening in this moment. There's a lot we don't know about prayer. Let me give you just a couple of things we do know. First, it's not a verse here or a verse there that reveals what prayer is. It's the whole Bible. You will live, you will live a dangerous, risky life if you just grab a verse out of the Bible and hold on to that and interpret it based just on that verse. You, I know people that have built a crazy philosophy on picking and choosing a verse here or a verse there out of the Bible. That's why we on a regular basis will go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. A verse here or a verse there will take you out of context and bring you into confusion and discouragement. Because you're grabbing just a portion. You're not getting the whole thing. You don't have the whole understanding. And we don't read any other book that way. We're, we're crazy. We go to the Bible and grab a verse and build a whole life philosophy off of one verse. But nobody reads a book like that. Hey, have you read Harry Potter? No, but I read that middle paragraph on page 247. It was awesome. <laughs> you don't even know the story. You don't even understand the context. There's so much more than the one paragraph you just read. And that's all you got? You'll never understand the word of God or the plan of God for your life by grabbing a verse here and a verse there. When you look at the message of the whole Bible as it relates to prayer, it becomes clear that James is not saying, if you do this, you'll get this. He's saying we have a God that wants to connect with us. He's saying that maybe heaven is the ultimate healing. Another thing we know about prayer for sure, prayer is not about what we get from God, it's about how we connect with God. Let's be honest. Don't we pray most of the time just to get something from God? When life's good, we can go days without praying. Except the meal, you're supposed to, God bless this food to our bodies and help us to do your work. Like, and, and you've got the same little chant you pray every time before food, and you call it a prayer, but it's just a chant you do before food. But don't, don't, don't we really just pray when life has gone to the seventh level of hell and we're desperate? But the purpose of prayer is not about what I can get from God. It's to connect with God. The purpose of prayer is not to convince God to do my will, but to expose me to his so I can live his will. God is not your servant that shows up when you call him in a moment of desperation to go make everything okay because you're in charge. God has this crazy idea that he's God, not us. And that when I come to him in prayer, it's not to bend his ear or bend his will. It's to connect with him, to know him better, to grow in that relationship. The goal of prayer is not to get an answer. The goal of prayer is to be in the presence of the Father. It's very different. Just to be with him. We've had all our family in for the past couple days, and there's nothing Nothing I love more than being with my family. There's nothing I love more than being in the presence of my family. I don't know if that's because I'm getting older. I'm, I'm 50, none of your business. And you do hit an age where you start to realize, hey, th th this deal goes by fast. Do you realize God invites you to call him Father because that's what he wants to be for you? because he wants that connection. He longs to know you. He wants to spend time with you. Someone has said, 
communication is to relationship what blood is to the body. It's what moves through and makes it work and gives it health. So prayer is to your life, the life of following Jesus, what blood is to our body. It's what circulates the word of God and the will of God and the presence of God through you. It's where the relationship comes from and where the relationship has grown. It's why Jesus continually exhorts us to remain in him. He says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Stay connected with me. That cannot happen, does not happen, will never happen an hour a week. It's about spending time in cultivating the relationship with him. So if prayer is about connecting with God, that means it's okay for me to come to him with questions. It's okay for me to come to him in sadness. It's okay to come to him battling doubt and navigating confusion. It's okay to come to him in pain, in anger, in frustration. My kids have come to me in every one of those circumstances and more. And when my kids come to me and they're mad at me, I don't love them any less. And here's what, as as parents, we don't ever want to admit this. One of the crazy things is sometimes they're right. Sometimes I'm like, oh, dang, I need to apologize. Sometimes, sometimes it reveals their immaturity with what they're wrestling with. But I don't love them any less because they're immature sometimes. I'm immature sometimes. God doesn't love you less when you come to him and you're frustrated with him or angry with him. He's big enough to handle it. And James is saying to us today, you need to pray. Whether you feel like it or not, you need to cultivate the relationship. The the third thing, the final thing I know about prayer for sure, prayer is not something that I'm to just do when I'm desperate. Prayer is something I do to be obedient to the Father. Prayer is about obedience. Prayer is about trusting God. It It is a literal act of saying, okay, God, I don't feel like it. Everything in life is screaming the opposite, but I'm choosing in this moment to trust you because you're God. There's an interesting verse, 1 Thessalonians. Pray continually. Do you do that? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It does not say, please hear me, it does not say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Because when I have a correct perspective of prayer and I realize this isn't about me approaching God thinking he's not going to do it anyway because I'm screwed up, messed up, blown up. This is about me trusting God and approaching him because the righteousness that Jesus has put on me. And because of that, I can spend time praying and I can connect with him and grow the relationship and build the relationship. I can pray continually. I can weave in and out of a conversation all day long. Angie's grandfather, one of the most powerful prayers I've ever known. Every single prayer he prayed, he began with the word and. We'd sit down to dinner, or we'd be out somewhere, and he'd pray. He'd, he'd start, and now, Father, and Father, and. And I asked him one time, I said, why, why, why do you do that? He said, because I'm never starting. I'm just continuing. It's an ongoing conversation. So I'm just adding the next thing. And now, what about this? And now I'm going to ask you about this. And now, could you do this? And now I'm thankful for this. And now I'm grateful for this. Pray Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. How do I do that? How do you give thanks if what you're carrying and you brought into this room is overwhelming? God, I thank you that you're big enough. I know I'm not. God, I thank you that you'll either carry my burden or you'll carry me. I trust you to do whatever you want. I know your will is perfect for my life. If you love me so much that you gave your son to die for me and he got up from the dead just so that I could have a relationship with you, if you love me that much, nobody else has ever died for me. I I think I can trust you if you die for me. And so because of that, I'm able to be thankful for who God is, especially in the most difficult moments. See, prayer, prayer is not so much something I do. Prayer is more someone I'm with. It's a relationship. So if you're a Christ follower, you're more like Elijah than you thought. You're viewed as righteous. Yes, you. I'm viewed as righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. You are deeply loved and listened to. And what you see as a lack of activity does not mean a lack of hearing. What you see as taking too long is actually happening in the exact time and process that God knows is best 
even if it's uncomfortable. And if you want anything to grow in life, you have to go to uncomfortable places. A relationship will not grow if there are never uncomfortable conversations. Your muscles, they won't grow if you don't go to the gym. You've got to go to uncomfortable places, and in those places, our faith grows. And so it's uncomfortable to carry a burden and to feel weighed down and to feel overwhelmed and to not understand and to be angry and frustrated and hurting and in pain and at the same time, act in faith, trusting a God who seems like it's taking him way too long if he's even active. It's uncomfortable. But what's the alternative? You're going to be uncomfortable either way. Life's going to suck sometimes either way. Why not live it trusting a God who promises he'll never leave me and never forsake me and who's working all things out for good in my life as long as I continue to love him and try to serve him and chase his purpose for my life? This is temporary. That doesn't make the pain go away, but it corrects the perspective so I can make it another day, just one day at a time. So what do you need to stop carrying alone? What do you need to pray to God about, even though you already have before, to continue to pray to God about and to give him and ask him to help you with it? What is it? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, in this moment, I thank you for the reality of who you are. I thank you that we can come to you, and I pray that as we walk through this week, we would remember that if we're in trouble, we need to pray. If life's good, we need to sing because so often in Scripture, songs are prayers and prayers are songs. If we're sick, we can trust you and we can pray and you're going to take care of it ultimately. And when we sin, we can come to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is to give your life to Jesus. You need a relationship with God. You, you know about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus in a personal way. And he wants that relationship. So if you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life, if you'd like to have your sins forgiven, a home in heaven after this life, and the Spirit of God to live inside you in this life, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness, just in your heart, in the quietness of this moment. But if you'd like to invite Jesus to come to your life, and this day change your forever, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.